Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a whole new episode of Full Seam Ahead. I'm your host, Zoe, with my co-host on the other side, Angel. Hello. Thank you for tuning in. It is episode 93 on this terrific Thursday, really. It's Friday, Junior. It's almost that time of the weekend. Astros have an off day, and what a road trip it was for these guys. Um, the Astros did a fantastic job on the road against really high competitive baseball teams, two the hottest teams in the National League and the American League. They go to Atlanta and they swept the Braves, and then they go to the Trop at Tampa Bay and won the series over there. So, Angel, describe the series to me. Tell me how you feel on that one word. Outstanding. The Astros played great baseball. They they won the series against the number one team in baseball, and they look good. Like their pitching was great. Their hitting rallied behind some. Like for example, when. Marcus Dubon hit that triple. Like we're able to score him in, and that's what we talked about earlier, like on earlier podcast. Like those men left on base, bringing like situational hitting, and they showed that, and they showed that this series. Yeah, I mean, offense was doing a fantastic job for the Astros. Same thing as pitching. Starting pitching for them was fantastic. If you take away that Jose or Kitty outing on the opener of that series, I mean, Hunter Brown, Luis Garcia. They look fantastic. And, I mean, let's start it off right there. Well, of course, we're talking about our shout-outs. Angel, go ahead and start off with your shout-outs. For sure. So, Hunter Brown looked, like I, I keep saying this, like vintage Verlander. And I like it because it's kind of like he mimicked his pitching wind-up. Um, he, he mimicked Justin Verlander's uh, wind-up because that was his favorite baseball player. And he looked great against the number one team in baseball. And it was maybe his best start of the season, if not career. Like, mm-hmm. he looked great. He he pitched seven innings, two allowing two hits, zero earned runs, two walks, and eight strikeouts. Brown actually has only seven starts under his belt from the twenty-two to this season, and in thirty point one innings, Brown has yet to allow a home run in the major leagues. He also has thirty-one strikeouts and five wins, and has yet to suffer a loss as a starter. Like shocking, he's gonna be good. I mean. He's been talked around about rookie of the, rookie of the year this year, and I feel like that experience from last year is kind of helping him along. Like, it's helping him ride the wave and continue phenomenal. And something about his character that I really liked, and something to look for, like to look forward to to future um, outings, is he got he he didn't do well against the Braves and or like his last outing. And today, he looked good. Like he was able to rally like learn from his mistakes and recuperate from what he did last year and do better i'm sorry last start and do and do it better this year did this start so he looked good after that that's like the heart of a champion right there you know you're down and then you do a bit like you get better as you're down yeah i mean mean, real quick with his maturity like you're saying i'm gonna just add on i mean i believe the tiger series or one of them games at minimate park I mean, they won the opposing teams that scored early, and he told Dusty and told the rest of the team, like, hey, still a lot of baseball left. And I think it was like the first or second, third, three innings out of the ball game, and he he went out there and he shoved against that team. And like you were saying, it was a bad outing in Atlanta, and I think he only won four innings that game. But, I mean, seven strikeouts from a four-inning you know, game from him was pretty phenomenal. So the maturity, like you were saying, just adds on to him. For sure. And <clears throat> sorry. And another pitch, pitching MVP is Luis Garcia. He has back-to-back yeah. solid outings. 
In this outing, he threw six innings, three hits, zero runs, two walks, and seven strikeouts. And according to baseball savant, Garcia threw 45 cutters. Like, that's the pitch he leaned on. That's the pitch he rallied on. Nine, only 19 fastballs, 18 sliders, nine changeups, and five curveballs. He threw thir- he, on the on the cutter and the slider. He had 37 swings. 11 of those were whiffs, for a total of a 63 whiff rate. So, I think he's kind of mixing it in with those two pitches. Like the the slider has a sharper break, so he's kind of like trying to trick guys and thinking it's a cutter and like. Oh, it's a slider, and they're trying to like change their swing path on that ones, and it's been working. Like again, solid back back to back outings. Um, after he allowed five runs, Maldi said, "You know, we saw good things, and you know, it, it, like it wasn't the start he wanted, but there was things, you know, positives on after that, and we're seeing those positives now. And what really catches my eye is the forty-five cutters." Yeah, the cutter's been his best pitch so far. And his foot uh, placement that they said on the broadcast on ITNT Sportsnet, he used to have it on the first base side. And then next thing you know, he changed his footing position to the third base side of the mound. And after that, it just looked like a different pitcher. He did that for the last two starts. He hasn't given up a run yet. And so that's pretty damn good that he kind of realized that. I don't know if the pigeon coaches realized that too, or even Maldonado catching that and being able to tell Luis like hey this isn't working so far you might need to change the way you have your footing position on the mound maybe because of the cutter runs inside on these batters and you leave it down the middle maybe if you do it on the other side it'll go down the middle first and then it'll have that break action to the outside corner so I mean you're pitching (laughs) shout out to those guys because them two starting pitchers on the on the Tampa Bay race yeah. On the other hand, if you wanted to add on real quick, yeah, especially because everybody hyped the Rays as they should, right? They're, they started twenty and three before they met the Astros, and they had a fourteen game winning streak at home, and they had a twenty two straight home run, uh, like twenty two straight games with a home run, yeah, and the Astros shut down both of those like they in the second game they didn't allow i'm sorry in the first game they didn't allow the race to score a home run or take to, to get a home run which break that streak and then on tuesday the astros beat the race to end their 14 game win streak at home like i like the astros were like yeah we don't care about your accolades we're here to win yeah and they just showed you right there too they played great against tough com- uh, competition they won two out of Three against the uh, Blue Jays, they swept the Braves, and then they took two out of three over there at the Trop at Tampa Bay, Florida. Moving on to the offensive shout-outs, and the first shout-out goes to the Mauricio Dubons. The Dubon fan club's over there. This man's on a mission, extending his hitting streak to 20 games. And even Chandler Rome had, had tweeted out that Dubon had joined 14 other Astros to have a 20-game hitting streak. And you're going to like these names that... He has displayed on there, and there's one being Moises Alou, another being Cesar Cedena, Tony Eusebo, and Lance Berkman. Them are four great Astros players that played in Houston. Moises Alou, of course, was a great contact hitter. Cesar Cedena as well. Lance Berkman, of course, he had contact and power. So, I mean, it j- just shows the difference that Dubon has done after the season of last year. He put on some weight added some strength and then playing dominoes with Jordan Alvarez. I don't know if you heard that story. That's even an article by Chandler Rome too 
about him playing dominoes with Alvarez and just trying to pick his brain, trying to figure out what he could do better, getting some tips from the big man himself. And if you look at the way he's hitting the ball too, everything is going the other way. I That's kid been- you not. It's been a trend, and you've seen that more often throughout the games that he's been playing. And that's been the impressive part of this history, you know, taking what the pitcher gives him, going the other way, and be yeah, like being able to use the whole, the whole field. And something I actually wanted to add as well, Jose Altuve has never had a 20-game history. His highest has been 19, and he even surpassed Michael Brantley. And the, uh, Michael Brantley had an 18-game history with the Astros as well. So I feel like Dubon's in uncharted territory right now, and hopefully it can continue. Um, but I mean, yeah, like he looks great. And right now you're going to mention Jeremy Pena as well. He looked great as well. But before we do that, Mauricio Dubon actually went four for 12. He had a 33 batting average and wow. two runs. So he looked pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he looks good in that leadoff role too. Um, after Chaz McCormick won the IL, and we had mentioned it too, if Chaz McCormick comes back, do you see Dubon even, you know, staying on the leadoff spot or you're going to go back with the with Chaz? And right now Dubon's doing a really good job being that leadoff hitter, being the uh, setup guy for the whole lineup, and he looks really good. And then, like you were mentioning, Jeremy Pena. Jeremy Pena looked really great. After the news with the big man having um, neck soreness or something dealing with his neck, hopefully it's not too serious for the Astros because he is a big part of that lineup. If Jordan Alvarez is going to be on the IL, we're not too sure yet. We'll keep you all updated. But Jeremy Pena stepping up into that two-hole. And, I mean, he looked great throughout the whole series against Tampa Bay. He had a couple of line shots, even at some some of the, you know, defensive players. But being back in the number two spot, 5 for 12, 417 batting average, one home run, two RBIs. Uh, JP3 just looked really good and comfortable in the two-hole. Maybe going back down kind of helped him regain his confidence because that's a big thing in baseball. If you're in a slump and you're batting under 250 or even under 200, your confidence level is not going to be the highest. It's kind of going to be low. And, you know, for the ALCS slash World Series MVP, you need to be the one to show out because you've had those awards and, you know, being notable on this team. So my question to you is, with Brantley coming back soon, because he's on a stint with Sugarland right now, where do you see Pena batting if Uncle Mike comes back? Well, I think... Dusty Baker sticks to his word of when Michael Brownlee comes back, we'll see him in that two spot. But Jerry Payne is making a strong case for himself of being in that two spot. Again, we had a larger sample size last year and a small sample size this year of Jerry Payne in that two spot. And he's excelled in it. And mm-hmm. he's done better. Um, I mean, like from being from the leadoff spot going down to, like, down to the lineup, he's done a tad bit better, but I don't know what it, what it is with JP3 in that two spot, but he, he he's very comfortable there. And he's proven it over and over again. So when Bradley comes back, I do see Pena moving down back to the bottom of the order or the seventh um, or, or, or the seventh part of the lineup. But if Brantley is not the same Brantley we know and love, I'm sorry, but if Brantley is not typical Brantley himself, then I see Pena going back into that two spot. So another thing I wanted to ask too, since Mauricio Dubon is hitting really really well and obviously the streak's gonna come to an end for him sometime soon hopefully not soon enough but if he keeps hitting like the way he is and Chaz McCormick comes back everybody comes back Altuve comes back Brantley comes back McCormick comes back 
who you're gonna ride? I mean, there's gonna be mo- do you see like a platoon with Dubon and McCormick and and then not even to mention too, I mean, Jake Myers is still hitting the ball pretty good. So I mean, what do you think about that? About the depth that these uh that the Astros have? I mean, that's a good problem to have, first of all, trying to fit all these guys into a lineup. I feel what the Astros do is they give Altuve's a guy there, so they'll give Altuve the top priority, right? So I'll be, I feel like he'll go back into that leadoff spot starting at second base. And then it just depends if, you know, because if you hit, you stay in the game. So if Dubon's still on fire, maybe we see him a little bit more as a Almenas Diaz role where he played almost every day but in different positions yeah. or even at center field. But, again, McCormick is there, and Myers is making a strong case that he deserves some playing time as well. Corey Jokes as well has been producing. So it's just trying to find playing time for these guys. So I might see, like, Dusty Baker already changes his lineup a lot. When all of those guys are healthy, we're going to see a lot more of that trying to plug in guys and not give and not give too many players uh, rest, like a, like a long stretch without playing. Mm-hmm. So it's tough, but I think Altuve gets priority on that leadoff spot unless Altuve himself says he's not comfortable. Because I because I, I remember before um, George Springer left, Altuve wasn't really comfortable in that leadoff spot, and then mm-hmm. like he learned to adjust. And he's been excelling at that. So again, he, I feel like he gets first priority. But it'll be crazy, to, like to see. Imagine Marisol Dubon in that ninth spot. He gets on base in the middle of a game, and then you still have Altuve to deal with, Pena or Brantley, Tucker, Jordan. That's that's a crazy line. That's a crazy team. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's a lot of good outcomes out of this right now. You're seeing Mauricio Dubon continue hitting the ball. Jake Myers looks like he's finding his swing again. Um, not, and it's kind of a little bit more pressure on Chaz now too, because yeah. Chaz has not been hitting obviously with the injury that he's dealing with still, it's going to be kind of like, Hey, you know, you need to get back on track or you could be possibly the one getting demoted, which I highly doubt that he will get demoted, but maybe just lighting a fire under Chaz too, to like get better because that, com- I mean, they're going to be a platoon no matter what you, you, you throw, if there's a lefty throw in, you're going to see Chaz McCormick in the lineup. I'm pretty like pretty sure like nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 times because he had a great OPS number against lefties last year. So just wanted to hear your input about that. It's it's very interesting to hear and see what the Astros are going to do in the future. But other than that, from the recap and our shout outs, we're going to move on to the preview against the Philadelphia Phillies. This is a 2022 World Series champions, well, not even champions, but matchup against the NL champions actually nationally champions for 2022 they've been on a cold start i mean they started off cold they got swept in texas i remember seeing that series didn't plan out well for the phillies and then in spring training they lost reese hoskins before that they lost bryce harper who could be potentially coming back this season we're not too sure there's been there was a video out there that he was um getting some reps in at first base as a defender so that'd be interesting to see but right now the Phillies are 12 and 13. They are tied for third place with the Miami Marlins in the NL East. So you got the Braves, the Mets, the Marlins, and the Phillies. And then you got Washington Nationals last. But Friday, this is going to be the best matchup out of this series, I believe. I mean, really, it's Friday and Saturday, but I'm really looking to, uh, forward to Friday. 17, 7, 7 10 start time. Framer Valdez, 2 and 2 with a 225 ERA. Versus Aaron Nola, who is one and two with a 540 ERA. I would never expect 
to say Aaron Nola with a 540 ERA because he has been a dominant pitcher throughout this league, especially for the Phillies being the ace that he is. So, Framber, the franchise, last outing against Atlanta, seven innings pitch, eight hits, three earned runs, nine strikeouts. Didn't sound really good, but he did pitch a good game and held the Astros above water to and be able to win that game. And against the Phillies in the World Series, if you do not know that, I mean, this guy was fantastic throughout his starts, 2-0 with a 146 ERA and 18 strikeouts. I mean, he was dealing with the, the curveball, the fastball, uh, the sinker that he has as well. I mean, he's going to do the same thing, I believe, to this Phillies lineup. His last outing was when the Astros clinched and won the World Series in Game 6 against the Phillies, six innings pitch. Two hits, one earned run, two walks, nine strikeouts. What are your thoughts of Framber seeing this Phillies lineup again? Obviously, it doesn't have Harper or Hoskins, but you still got guys like Kyle Schwarber who hit a home run off of him in game six, uh, Alec Bohm, Bryson Stott. Give me your thoughts on Framber on this outing against the Phillies. I feel like we're seeing a different uh, Framber. Like that Framber in the playoffs relied mostly on his curveballs to get him out of situations, but now he's including more of a sinker, his velocity pitches. So that might throw the Phillies a little bit off, but again, we don't see him a lot. Like the Astros, I'm sorry, the Astros don't see him a lot. Um, so I feel like that minor adjustment could be huge for them. And I think we, I think Framber Valdez has a pretty good outing. Yeah. And you could just, hopefully the Astros, do and have a good outing against these Phillies because I mean the Phillies are still a good team no matter what if Harper and Hoskins are out of the game with injuries but moving on to Aaron Nola last outing versus Colorado seven innings pitch four hits three earned runs three walks three strikeouts his strikeout rate has dropped compared to last year oh, wow. 2022 he had a 29.1 strikeout rate this year 18.6 that is a mag you know, a significant drop from his strikeout rate. It's been more of a three, five, six, max six, uh, four, two strikeouts from his last previous outings. Of course, the outing he got, he had against Houston, four innings pitch, seven hits, three earned runs, four strikeouts in that game, five at Philadelphia. And the Astros have had success against the Phillies ace, which right now I, he is the ace. Zach Wheeler is the second guy up. 0-2 with an 864 ERA and only nine strikeouts. And you combine them two starts. He has pitched eight and a third, giving up eight earned runs. So the Astros and that lineup have seen enough from Aaron Nola. Uh, maybe he has changed some things from you know from the past of the World Series, but maybe the Astros continue hitting like they've been doing since Tampa Bay to the Atlanta to Toronto series. And the other thing too, with him, one of his top three best pitches this year has not been working out for him. Like he had wished it would have opponent batting average against his sinker last year was a 178. this year in 2023 hitters are hitting off that sinker with 429 batting average. So the batters are looking at that pretty damn good and are making adjustments from the past years to this year's now. Yeah, so he's not it's, anybody. Yeah, it's not at all. Opponents batting average, too, since we're on that topic, 2022, batters had a 219 average against him. And this year, 271. So right now, I don't know if Aaron Nola is like Jose Abreu, is a slow starter in the beginning of the season. 
or just right now mechanics pitching location is just not where he wants to be at the moment. Then we got Saturday, the second best matchup out of this series. You're going to see, and it's a 410 start time. Christian Javier is 2 0 with 321 ERA versus Zach Wheeler, who had pitched in game six of that World Series. 2 1, 473 ERA. Let's go with Zach Wheeler first. I mean, his last outing versus Colorado, six innings pitched, three hits, three earned runs, three walks, 11 strikeouts. He has given up at least one earned run in every start, and he has started five games this season. Last outing against Houston, five and a third, three hits, two earned runs, one walk, five strikeouts. So the thing with Zach Wheeler, and it's no secret that everybody should know that this guy has a great fastball. It's a great rising fastball that tries to punch these hitters out anytime, any day of the place. 95 to 98 miles per hour is where it averages. And right now, so far this season, it's his number one go-to pitch when the batter has two strikes. He has 16 strikeouts out of that pitch from this season. So, uh, you know, with Tucker being a high-rising fastball kind of guy, Altuve, of course, is not in the lineup, but he loves the high fastball. Alvarez, hopefully, if we get to see him in action this series, he likes the high fastball. I mean, who do you think is going to be a key matchup on this with the Astros lineup? I feel like Jeremy Payne is going to be one of those guys. He loves the the fastball, and I feel like he likes taking advantage of that pitch, especially since – um, his Achilles heel so far has been the slider or Austin pitches away. So I feel like whenever he sees a fastball, he's going to try to take advantage right away. And I also want to add with Javier and Wheeler pitching this game, the fans out there are going to be seeing a lot of fastballs for sure. Yeah, I mean, both pitchers have great fastballs. Another note with Pena, since you mentioned him, this year he's been doing poor from the fastball, which is shocking okay. because that was one of the best – you know, that was one of the best for him to do last year when everybody was throwing the slider or cutter away from him. The fastball was always his go-to when it came to swinging on the bat. Then you got Christian Javier, like you said, last outing against Atlanta Six Innings, pitched three hits, two runs, one being earned, two walks, 10 strikeouts. That is the first double-digit strikeouts of the season for Christian Javier. That's the Javier we know right there. And I think the Phillies already know about Christian Javier as well because he pitched a game five of that combined no-hitter at Philadelphia at the brotherly love. Six innings pitch, no hits, no earned runs, two walks, nine strikeouts. So this is going to be a great game between both pitchers. It could be a pitcher's duel as well because, like you said, a lot of these fans who are ever going to go to the game on Saturday are going to see a lot of dosage of that fastball from both pitchers because – Javier, we know the velocity just dropped a little on his fastball, but he's still going to throw in no matter what. Yeah, and again, both guys rely heavily on that fastball, so there's going to be some radar numbers lit up um, at, at Minute Maid Park that day. Yeah, and then we're going to move on to Sunday, and that is an ESPN game. I forgot to mention on Friday's matchup, that is on Apple TV. So if you do not have Apple TV, they still have that offer, I believe, if you look at the Astros Twitter or, or any of their social media platforms, they have tweeted out something about that. But Sunday night baseball is going to be on ESPN, on the ESPN broadcast. Jose Arquiti will be on the mound for your Strohs, 1-2 and two with a 564 ERA versus Bailey Falter, who is 0-4 with a 450 ERA. And this guy had made his debut two years ago. I'm speaking about Falter. Last outing versus Seattle, 6 innings pitch, 6 hits. Four runs, three earned runs, no walks, seven strikeouts. So the Astros haven't seen this guy at all. 
Um, we dig deep into these stats, and we did not see anything with Falter playing against the Astros. I just wanted to mention this real quick. He has allowed the highest velocity, max exit velocity off the bat is 118.2. That's the average of when he pitches. And that's bottom 1% of the league in Major League Baseball. However, he doesn't give up a lot of walks. If you go look at his stats, there's only four walks he has allowed in five starts. So he's going to work that count no matter what. If you're on a 3-2 count, he's going to make you earn that hit or make you earn that walk. Because like I said, he's not going to make it anything easy for you to go out there and just you know, mash him with 3-2. Oh, it's automatic ball four if he's losing command. I mean, right there, it shows you four walks and five starts. That's that's pretty incredible. I mean, that's good. Yeah. So what that tells me is, I feel like he's trying to. Be, I feel like he's trying to be too perfect, where he's mm-hmm. trying to throw strikes and he does throw strikes, but he's like, I feel like he's trying to hit his spots and he leaves them right like right up the middle. So it's just like a work in progress. Like he's throwing strikes, but he's leaving them right there where hitters can do damage, and that explains the high exit velocity because he's trying to again be perfect, pitch that fine line that is that uh strike zone and he's just missing. Yeah, I mean that maybe explains his record being 0 and 4 with a 4 sub ERA. And then like I said, we don't we didn't know nothing about Bailey at first and now we're getting to know him. He's a five pitch type of guy. He has a four seam fastball, curveball, changeup, slider and sinker. The two pitches that he's really notably that he's going to throw throughout this game is going to be the fastball which is 50.4% of the time that averages about 89 to 91 miles per hour with the curveball. And that is 26.8%. And that's a 75 to 78 miles per hour difference. I'm not really difference, but that's what he throws. The difference on that is good 15, 20% about there, 21%. And that's the two pitches that he's going to rely on fastball and curveball. So you're going to see that, I mean, it's not really that fast compared to Zach Weider and Aaron Nola, but he has that Uncle Charlie that's going to be really slow and pitchers are going to – not pitchers, but hitters are going to really have to adjust and kind of have that mindset when you're in the box of saying, you know, yes, 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 no, because it's going to have that last break at the end. Then you got Jose Arquiti on the other end. Last outing against Tampa Bay wasn't his best. Two and two-thirds, seven hits, six earned runs, two walks, three strikeouts. That is the that's probably one of the most horrific performances he has done this season, but it just doesn't get better after that. Last two starts combined from the Tampa Bay, not the well, the Tampa Bay and the Toronto series. Seven innings pitch, 14 hits, 10 earned runs, four walks, seven strikeouts. That is not the best if you're a Nationals fan you want to hear about the sub line against with Jose Urquidy. But there's some good news on this end. Last outing against the Philadelphia Phillies, if you remember that, I believe it was game four, that Lance McCullers Jr. just did not have his stuff, and it went to a bullpen game. Well, Urquidy was a part of that game, being in as a reliever. Three innings pitch, one hit, zero earned runs, one walk, four strikeouts. So I read you the stats right there, Angel. Last two outings was in him. The other previous were pretty good, decent outings from him. What are you looking for, Jose Urquidy, coming into this matchup against the Phillies? I feel like what I'm looking for is command of that fastball. Like Vladimir Guerrero and Chapman hit home runs off that fastball that were supposed to be in the corner, but he left them kind of middle in, uh, middle away on both pitches. So command of that fastball, and we kind of see him 
lose lose that sweeper pitch a little bit. Like mm-hmm. at the beginning when he was doing pretty good, he was throwing a lot more. He was like fastball sweeper, but as of right now, it's been he's been going away from that pitch and he's been and relying more on his fastball. And he's been getting more into trouble, and you know he has a he, he's gonna have a tough um, matchup against him. He said like the Phillies, they started off pretty slow. But now they're getting hot. They're seven and three in, in 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 the last game in the last three games. And a big contribution of that is Bryson Stott. Bryson Stott has been um, pretty good coming uh, at the start of the season. He had a 17 game hit streak until it was broken. He's um, a, a Dubon has passed him up already. Says so again, it was passed, and he has a 346 batting average. 376 on base percentage, 471 slugging, and combine that, that is an 847 on base percentage plus slugging. He's second in the NL in hits, fourth in the NL in batting average. Now he has cooled off in the last seven games. He was seven for 28, about 250, but hitting 250 in the major leagues is still pretty good. I mean that. I mean I'll get you paid. Um, mm-hmm. He has one home run, three RBIs, four walks, and five strikeouts. So again, he's been pretty good for them and a big contributor of why the Phillies were able to turn it around. Now, someone we're familiar with, with his time in the angels, Brandon Marsh. I'm sure that, um, that name rings familiar to Astros fans. He's been pretty good as well. He's been 342, 435 on base percentage, 703 slugging, which is pretty impressive. And he leads the NO in OPS and, and triples. So he's, he's relying on that speed. Um, any gap where you can stretch it out for a triple, any infield hit, slow roller, the infield better be moving pretty quickly because he's flying down that base path. And even though they don't have Bryce Harper or Bryce Hoskins, like they're stepping up and they're leading this team into that, you know, into them battling for that NOE spot. And I mean, they're going to come to play. I'm sure they're a little bit upset after losing that World Series matchup to us. We're gonna cut, so they are gonna come firing. They are going to try to beat, win this series, and they're gonna give it all their all. But moving on from that, it's time for offensive pitching MVPs and our hot takes for this series. Mine, I only got one. We did see a breggy bomb, but we did. But jokes was two for 12. He did get an RBI the second game, but the first and the last game of that series, he went over, he went, he had an 0 for 0 for four. Brian Abreu, I don't recall him coming in to any of the games. unless I am wrong. Unless you got, nah, he, he didn't, he didn't yeah. come. So, Possibly he could have came to that first game. I'm not too hundred percent sure, but yeah, I, I don't think I saw him. Yeah. So he didn't show up at all. I mean, I, I think he deserved the rest. Um, he was he. I think he had pitched three straight games prior yeah, to that. Back saves in Atlanta. Yeah, so I'm that was a foreseen rest days that I didn't I didn't expect. And Zoe had Bregman, Urquidy, and Abreu goes deep this game. I mean, again, we did see a Bregy bomb, but that's Urquidy an was I count Urquidy. that as an offer right there, dude. <laughs> yeah, I would bad. say I would say so myself because it was just one, but. I had braggy bombs, multiple, but it was just one. But we'll try again this week, and here is our um, MVPs and hot takes for my offensive MVP. We got Kyle Tucker. He's back hmm. home, right? I think he likes sitting at home, especially with that Crawford box with that short porch and right field. So I think he makes 
he makes his uh, King's Corner be known. I say Javier rallies from his great start from that and brings out another good start. And my hot take is Javier has a repeat double-digit strikeout game against the Phillies. I like it. I like it. I think Christian Javier deserves to get another repeat other than double-digit strikeout games. But my pitching MVP is going to go to the franchise. Um, I read you the stats earlier in the show that it's 2-0 and with a one-something ERA against these guys. Uh, I mean, obviously, Philly got a left-handed lineup pretty good. Bryson Stott's one of them. Kyle Schwarber's the other. Brandon Marsh. I mean, two of them are the hottest hitters that we just talked about. Kyle Schwarber, of course, everybody knows the swing that he displays. I mean, the power he shows as well. So I, I think Framber's going to go out there and shove again, possibly going 3-0 against the Phillies. Then I got Jeremy Pena. The World Series MVP is going to continue on. I think he's going to continue doing what he's been doing from the Tampa Bay series, and he's just going to continue staying hot in this Philly series and just let everybody know from the brotherly love that, hey, I'm, I'm still that guy. I'm still that guy from the World Series. And the hot take, since we're talking about Jeremy Pena, we're going to see probably a called Jalapena Popper coming into the Crawford boxes. So I, I think Jeremy Pena will get one into those Crawford boxes, possibly the train tracks, maybe visit, maybe have the ball visit Bobby Dynamite up there with the train. But, I mean, I, I like my hot take. I like my, I like my chances this week. I mean, the last series... I went hope for three. You went one for three. I, I think both of our offensive pitching MVP and hot takes, it looks pretty good for this weekend. Yeah, I feel like we need to start writing them down and see who has the most uh, I was thinking about hot it. takes. Like, That's what I was thinking about, season. doing a record, but I completely, like, I man, we'd, we'd have to go and hear each episode just to figure out what. Not really. We the just at our drives. Oh, that too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That helps out. <laughs> for sure but it wouldn't be full steam ahead without giving you around the league and we talked about last week how the pirates have been uh on fire they had a strong start they were a surprising team and now they signed their guy brian reynolds is staying put in in pittsburgh they he signed a new contract through 2030 with the club and an option for 231 it was in my opinion a friendly deal I think it was eight yeah. years, a hundred and eight million dollars. If I'm not, if I'm mistaken, around that area. Around there. So I think Brian Reynolds could have gotten a lot more somewhere else. But if he's happy there, you know, that makes it work. Like, what do you think about this deal? I agree with you. I think it was a team-friendly deal on his part. I didn't expect him to continue on after asking them, like, I want out. And then, I mean, that's yeah. I agree. It's a it's a team-friendly deal. I he's a two-time, three-time All-Star. For the Pirates now, uh, he was one of the biggest guys on the trade deadline too, and even from the trade deadline into spring training to the winter meetings, and the Pirates just stayed put. And Brian Reynolds, I guess, had enough of it and just say, "Okay, well, you know, pay me what I want." And sure enough, I mean, both. I think it was a win on the Pittsburgh Pirates side and Brian Reynolds a loss because, like you said, I think he could have got paid somewhere else because th- he's a really good player. He, I mean, he could he's a five tool uh, kind of guy. I think their hot start had a really, um, really contributed to him signing with the uh, Pirates. Because again, as we know, the Pirates are in a rebuilding mode, and I feel like he just got frustrated with losing. But now this hot start, like he's seeing what the Pirates are doing, like what Pittsburgh's doing, he's seeing the additions they got, like what they're trying to do to get better and to win. So I think he's trying to see it through, and maybe 
even win a championship with them in Pittsburgh, but we'll see how it works out for that. So question real quick before we move on to the next one. Do you think Andrew McCutcheon could have had a difference in this when it came to negotiations and talking about getting an extension? Because if you remember, he wanted MVP over there with Pittsburgh. I'm talking about McCutcheon. He won an MVP with them. Uh, he, he won to the playoffs as well. And then after the whole good days of Pittsburgh, and then it went to transitioning to bad days. They weren't winning any more games. They were losing more than anything else. And he, I, I, I want to be really correct about this, which I'm not 100% sure if he signed a new contract when they were doing good in them days with like 2012, 2013 with Russell Martin and all these other guys. I mean, do you think he could have been a big difference factor for Brian Reynolds to stay in Pittsburgh? It could be. I mean, but I feel like I'm a cut and be like, get your bag wherever you can. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, like it doesn't necessarily have to be in Pittsburgh. I mean, it could be just having that veteran presence. someone to talk to about these things, someone who's been through those things as well, like of signing an extension or trying to get a trade going or like even being traded, like, you know, having his input could have been a big factor, but, I feel like McCutcheon's like, you know, go get your bag wherever you need to. Like, you know, like more about the player instead of the, like the franchise. But moving on, Robbie Ray, uh, like, like a stunning, like a stunning and hurtful news for Mariners fans that Robbie Ray is out for the season. Mariners starting pitcher is out for the 2003 season due to a flex tendon repair. That's a huge hit because, I mean, he hasn't been great, but we know what his potential is. We know what his ceiling is. And he's like, there's a reason why the Mariners signed him to that large contract is because of what he's done. And he's been a good quality starter. He was off to a slow start, but I mean, that's still a big hit because now the Mariners are relying on Luis Castillo and Drew Gilbert as well. And now like they lost their third guy. So I think, I don't injury. think it's Drew Gilbert, Logan Gilbert, Logan Gilbert. Sorry. <laughs> Drew was, Gilbert's with the Astros. I was thinking, which um, he has yeah. been doing. He has been doing good in Asheville. If you haven't seen the highlights on either Astros Twitter or even on our account, I mean, he had two home runs in one night. And then the next day he had a base clearing triple. So yeah, yeah Logan Gilbert, that. Logan Gilbert. There you go. Um, so I feel like it's just those two, those two guys now. And the Mariners are already off to a slow start. Like it, that's been a surprising start as well. Cause everybody, I feel like MLB, like, experts of ma- of Major League Baseball had the Mariners winning the division and with this little start, you know, they're falling a little bit more behind. They're going to have to have a big push mid-year or rely on one of the top teams, either the Rangers or the Astros, to have a slump for them to come back and probably take the division. Like Again, it's still early on. There's plenty of baseball left, but I feel like that slow start kind of hurts the Mariners and now the loss of Robbie, Bay- Robbie Ray is another huge hit for them. Now, Major League Players of the Week have been announced. Max Muncy and Adolis Garcia, two names I don't think you would expect to be MLB Players of the Week, but they've been hot. Like, Adolis Garcia, I believe, had eight RBIs in one game, and Max Muncy has been tearing the ball, like the cover off the ball for the Dodgers and has contributed to their wins because I don't think the Dodgers look like... I, I don't think people are afraid of the Dodgers anymore. And mm-hmm. Max Muncy has been crucial to them winning some like one, two run games and stepping up since, especially since uh, they lost uh, Gavin Lux, he's been uh, stepping up for them as well. And I don't know if you saw this, but I think everybody knows Fernando Fernand Tatis is back. All right. Mm-hmm. And he went into Chicago and Chicago, 
especially the Cubs, they're very dedicated to their team, and they let you hear it. All right, mm-hmm. so in while Tatis was playing right in field, there was a like the two Cubs fans were heckling him, and call, and like starting a chant saying he's on steroids, he's on steroids, and Tatis decided to embrace it and started dancing uh, to their chants. Like, what do you think about that? I think it's good for baseball. I mean, there's some people that are not going to like it. But at the same time, too, if, if fans want to continue on saying, you know, these cheaters and steroids and all this stuff, that ain't going to hurt the players' mindset. That ain't going to hurt them. They already did, and they put their statement out there. They uh, went to the media, went on, you know, on national television or even in their local television broadcasts and apologized for what they did. So it's like you move on. It's a new it's a new day for you. It's a new start and a new beginning for you and your career. And Tatis just like you said, he embraced it. He just danced off of it. Let the kids play. That's basically what I gotta say about that. Yeah, and again, people are criticizing him about that, right? About him dancing to those chants. But I kinda I think that kinda tell like tells you like I feel like that's a good example to kids as well. If you think about it, it's like, yeah, when they things are or like going when your way. are bullying you or like throwing things your way, you know, just brush it off and just be you. Just focus on you getting better on yourself. And because people are always going to talk and it's just like, just worry about yourself, get better at your craft, let them talk. And they'll soon be talking once you get better, you know? So mm-hmm. it's just like, just embrace it, have fun with it, brush it off. Don't, don't take things to heart. You know, you like just worry about yourself, but your rookie of the year got demoted, unfortunately. You had Jordan Walker winning the NL rookie of the year, and now he is – now the Cardinals kind of made it harder for him to do that. I mean, hopefully the Cardinals bring him up soon. We don't know what their game plan is, but the Cardinals' number one prospect was option last night back to AAA. I, th- I believe it's in Memphis where, where they have their um, AAA team. But I don't know. What, what do you think about that move? It's going to hurt my fantasy team. I know that for sure. I had him as an outfielder and third base plug right there. But, I mean, he's young. You got to let the guy grow. If he's, I think he's batting 190-something after that 12-game hitting streak he had, which was pretty phenomenal from a rookie in his first 12 games. That's pretty good. But, caught, you know, he caught cold. Cardinals think he should have just gone back to Memphis and, you know, develop a little bit more and continuing to get more at-bats. Because, too, think about the lineup that the Cardinals have right now. Got Nolan Arenado at third. Uh, Nolan Gorman's been swinging the bat pretty good. Lars Nudbar, Brandon Donovan. I mean, they, they got a lot of depth. And with Jordan Walker would be in their number one prospect, you're like, well, shoot, where are we going to plug him? I mean, there's days that we can, but then there's days like, you're, like we're going to be talking about from earlier what we said about riding with the hot hitter. Nolan Gorman's been hot for uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals. Lars Newbar's been hitting the ball pretty good, and you got I mean you got a lot of depth over there in St. Louis, and I, I think it was the best option for the Cardinals to do that. And you know let the rookie grow, get more at bats and triple A, and develop as a young kid that he is. He's only twenty years old too, so there's no rush for him to get um, you know back in the majors. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like him being on the bench is just hurting him rather than helping him, even though he's on the major league roster. So. Seeing seeing those at bat, seeing like the ball placement, like for example, Miguel Vargas when he he couldn't sing, so he was just like tallying the ball in. So I feel like real life pitching from real life pitchers it helps instead of just sitting on the bench. So I agree with you there. Yeah, you got to grow just like we're trying to grow here at Full Steam Ahead. But that is our show for tonight. Lastly, Angel, do you want to say anything else before we head off? 
Now, again, just thank you for taking the time to listen to us. I know some of these can be very lengthy, but thank you for your patience. And hopefully we give you the best insight you've heard on any Astros podcast. Yeah, 44 minutes ain't a bad show compared to an hour that we had like about about two or three episodes (laughs) ago. So continue to follow us at Full Steam Ahead on Twitter, at TikTok. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube. It's still brand new. Like we said, we just started this in the beginning of the year of the Astros 2023 season. Subscribe to us, follow us, and listen to us at all our podcast platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple's Podcasts, Spotify as well. Leave us some rates. Leave us some reviews. Let us know what we're doing right. Let us, let us know what we're doing wrong. We'd love to hear your feedback. Continue going. But enjoy the weekend. It's going to be a great weekend. It's the 2022 World Series rematch against the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies. Till then, we'll talk to you after the conclusion of this weekend's series. See you guys. Peace.